And I, I was thinking as Kurt was sharing just a few minutes ago about this man, John, this man that we've been spending time in his letters over the last several months here at Crossroads, thinking about who he was and what he experienced. Kurt shared Acts 1-8 with us just, just a minute ago, and he said, um, 40 days after Jesus had risen from the dead, he was about to ascend back into heaven. The book of Hebrews says he was about to take his rightful place at the right hand of the Father in majesty. And as he was leaving the earth, the final words that we have recorded from him are Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to this man, John, who's standing there. And he says, you will be my witnesses. He said, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. That's my call for your life. And that call continues. It's been passed down from generation to generation. John wrote these letters, these works that we have recorded in Scripture for our benefit and for our encouragement. I talked about a little bit last week as we were wrapping up the book of 1 John that John had written an entire gospel talking about who Jesus was, what he had seen with his own eyes, what he had heard with his own ears, what he had experienced as he walked and talked with Jesus. And he, and he did that. He wrote his gospel so that all who would read it would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing, they may have life in his name. Amen? John was excited to write his gospel, I'm sure. And he poured out his, his heart, and he was an eyewitness of this man, Jesus. His life, his miracles, his heart for people, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Even his ascension. Can you imagine watching a guy telling you, hey, you're going to fulfill being my witnesses. And then he just is lifted off the earth into heaven, and he disappears in the clouds. I mean, that's just got to blow your mind, right? And then they're just, they're like, their jaws are just open, staring up into the sky. And these two angels show up and go, what are you staring at, dude? Get busy. Right? And this same Jesus is going to come one day. Kurt talked about that. It's, it's a done deal. He's coming. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I will come back. So that you can be where I am. I'm preparing a place. For all who receive the message that Jesus is Lord and believe in his name. John wrote the gospel, but then he was concerned about the church in his later years. God had allowed him to live a long life. That was rare. Most of the disciples were slaughtered, murdered, martyred for their faith. And yet John persevered. God preserved his life and made his days long so that he could write letters to the church like we've looked at in 1 John. In 1 John, we, he wanted the church to know that they can have fellowship with Jesus, that they can stay abiding with Jesus. They don't have to just believe and then have a life where they fall away. They can stay close to Jesus throughout their lifetime. And he gave them some things that they can know for sure, that they can count on, that keeps them in a close relationship with Christ. 
What was his conclusion? I just want to recap this from last week. What can believers know for sure? What should anchor us in our faith? Five things he goes over in 1 John at the end in his conclusion. Through Jesus, we have eternal life. Man, that is something that can't be taken away. That is something that is secure, that we can have no matter what this world throws at us. We can have effective prayer. We have the one who created the universe with the breath of his mouth. He spoke the universe into existence. We have that God listening attentively to our prayers. Not because we deserve, not because we've done something special, we've done some sort of religious activity to allow us to have the voice or the ear of God. No, it's because of our faith in his son, Jesus. He is the mediator between God and man. He opens the door to opportunity to hear from those who have placed their faith in Jesus. We have endless victory. There's nothing the enemy can do to us. He can't take away the victory that Jesus has won through the cross. That's security, guys. The world's looking for security, are they not? The world is willing to sell their freedom and their soul for apparent security. And yet Jesus says, don't listen to that. I have security for you. Extreme security and extraordinary wisdom. If 1 John was concerned about abiding or having fellowship with God, 2 John is concerned about a fellowship as well. And it's concerned about a fellowship with the false teachers, with false teaching, with things that are going to come into our lives, into our experience, that are going to try and lead us off course. John is concerned about that, and so he wrote the letter of 2 John. He's also concerned that we have fellowship with one another. And so he wrote the letter of 3 John. We're going to look at that next week. But as we dive into 2 John... I want to share with you a story from the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 22 is where we're going to start this morning. And this has to do with a man named Ahab. See, Israel had split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which was still known as Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was Judah. And in the northern kingdom, they had forsaken Yahweh God, the true God. They had forsaken, they had begun to worship a bunch of idols. And they had a bunch of kings that succeeded one another that led the people away from God. One of those kings at this time was Ahab. Ahab was married to a woman named Jezebel. Maybe you've heard of her. One of the most evil king and queens that ever existed in our world. And Ahab got together with the king of the southern kingdom, Judah, And his name at the time was Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat and Ahab had a common enemy. A nation that was nearby, Aram, Aram, was a kingdom that was always at war with Israel and trying to conquer them. And so the kings decided, you know what, let's join forces. Let's let's combine our armies together and somehow we can fend off what's happening from from Aram's attack. And it's interesting because Jehoshaphat says, hey, does that sound like a good idea to you, King Ahab? And Ahab's like, yeah, sounds like a good idea. And Jehoshaphat, should we consult maybe God to find out? Should we maybe bring him into the loop? And Ahab's like, sure, I'll bring all my prophets in. And I want to pick up in verse 6 of 
1 Kings 22. So the king of Israel gathered the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, should I go against Ramoth Gilead for war, or should I refrain? Is it God's will that I go, or is it God's will that I stay? They replied, march up, and the Lord will hand it over to the king. But Jehoshaphat asked, isn't there a prophet of Yahweh? Isn't there a prophet of the real God somewhere around here anymore? Let's ask him. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man who can ask Yahweh, but I hate him because he never prophesies good about me, but only disaster. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. You know, what Second John is all about is about the church's desire to hear something that is going to be favorable to them. God's word can be difficult, can it not? It can rebuke, it can correct, it can cause us to realize that our lives are moving over here and God wants us over here. We don't always like to hear that, do we? The king of Israel, Ahab, hated to hear that. He had murdered every prophet of God except one. God had preserved this man. But Ahab didn't want to bring him in. Ahab didn't like what he probably had to say. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 2, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to this young man, Timothy, who was leading the church in Ephesus, and he says this, Proclaim the message. Persist in it, whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Listen to verse 3. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. Verse 4, they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. He's not talking about the world. He's talking to the church. He's saying the church is going to have an itch to hear something other than the truth. Why? Because the truth can be hard to take. The truth can be something that's convicting, that, that, that forces us to move from where we are to where God wants us to be. And as human beings, let's be honest, we don't like that sometimes. We just want to do our own thing or have somebody affirm the things that we're comfortable in. The letter of 2 John was written to warn against that type of mentality in the church because it was starting to creep in, even in John's day. Even in John's day. I have a daughter, she's a sophomore in high school, and she does something interesting. When she wants something, her will, some sort of sleepover, some sort of thing with her friends, she usually chooses one of the two parents to come to. Which one do you think she goes to, the hard one or the easy one? And here's the thing. Sometimes my wife's the hard one, and sometimes I'm the easy one, and sometimes I'm the hard one. Sometimes she's the easy one. But my daughter is looking for the easy one because she wants what? She wants to do what she wants to do. And she's looking for a yes to her plans. Do you realize the church can get into that habit, can get into that trap? where it starts looking for the, tell me what I want to hear 
instead of tell me what God says. Second John was written to refute that. Let's read it together. The elder to the elect lady and her children, I love all of you in the truth. And not only I, but also all who have come to know the truth. Because of the truth, because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth, in keeping with the command we have received from the Father. So now I urge you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command. As you have heard it from the beginning, you must walk in love. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home. And don't say welcome to him. For the one who says welcome to him shares in his evil works. Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to do so with paper and ink. Instead, I hope to be with you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greetings. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, God, I pray this morning as we dive into this book called Second John, God, that you might make it clear in our hearts the message that you want us to take away. God, and apply into our situation. God, you know the hearts of everyone here. You know the habits of everyone here. God, you know that at times we certainly don't want to face your truth. And God, I pray this morning that we will be convinced that you love us and that you want us to walk in your truth and walk in your love all of our days. God, make it clear this morning what your word says and help us to take it to heart and apply it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the beginning of the letter says, the elder to the elect lady and her children. So it's interesting because the scholars kind of disagree on this point. They all agree that the elder is John. The Apostle John, known as an old man at that time, but a respected man of faith to the churches that existed in that region. And so they believe that the elder is John, but to the elect lady and her children. Some say that maybe this was a woman that was running a house church. You see, in those days, they didn't meet like this in an auditorium. The church met in a variety of homes in a city. Some of those homes could hold up to maybe 40, 50 people. But the average is probably like 20. 20 people meeting in a home known as a church. And when the the letter was written to the church in Rome, the book of Romans, right? It's written to a bunch of house churches that existed in Rome. And together they comprised the church of Rome. It wasn't like they were meeting in a great cathedral. No, that practice didn't take place until about 350 A.D. 
when it was actually outlawed for the church to meet in a home. And they forced them to come out of the homes and into places like we are traditionally meeting today. And yet the very beginning of our faith was not meetings like this, but meetings in smaller groups, in homes. And so some say maybe this lady had opened up her home. She was chosen by God, given the um, resources to open up her home, and that her children um, were those in the home that had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Some say maybe that's the case. Others say, no, this was a church. Lady being a reference to the people of God meeting and the children that met in that place that were descended from that, from that church or, or had brought, been brought from that church. So it really doesn't matter which approach is correct. God didn't give us enough information because either one could be correct. But the reality is John is writing to a church a group of people meeting. And he says, I love you, I love all of you in the truth, and not only I, but also all who have come to know the truth. Because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. And then he gives a very traditional greeting in his letter, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. There's some deep stuff there, right? Grace, That is unmerited favor. That is undeserved favor from God. He knows that God has given us favor even though we didn't deserve it. And that favor came through the cross. Came through what Jesus did for us, undeserved sinners on the cross. Mercy is not getting the punishment we deserved. But instead, he poured out his his goodness and his love into our life. That's merciful. We all deserve punishment for our sins, and yet God didn't want to give it to us. Instead, he wanted to give us his mercy. And peace, peace is that concept that we can have a relationship with God that is no longer at odds, that no longer has some sort of separation to it. And where does it all come from? It comes through his son, Jesus Christ, the son of the Father, in truth and love. In verse 4, He continues, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth, in keeping with the command we have received from the Father. He had met some of the people apparently from this church that he's writing to, and he noticed their lives. He saw the way they were living, and he noticed that they were living out the truth, and he was very encouraged by what he had seen, and he was excited to know that there were people who were living out the truth. So now I urge you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, you must walk in love. John gives some counsel here to the church. And that counsel is designed to keep them on track with God, to not allow them to be distracted by the other things that are going to try and war against their minds and their souls. They compete for their allegiance. There's going to be other things said and other things that they encounter that are going to try and draw them away from their faith in Christ. And John says, let me give you some counsel. Let me give you some advice. This is how you can stay true. And the first one he gives them is that they can walk in love. I call it practicing the three W's 
of the faith. And the three W's are right here in the letter. And the first one is here in verse 6, that they walk in love. You know, it's so important that we love each other. Love doesn't mean being perfect with one another. Love means that when we do screw up, we say we're sorry. And that there is forgiveness and reconciliation on the other end. That's what love looks like in everyday action. It's not a pursuit for perfection necessarily. It's a pursuit for being someone who responds to others like Christ has responded to us. Think about that. Does he hold things against us or is he quick to forgive? Does he hold a record of wrong and, and throw that back in our face? Or does he say, come to me with, and confess your sin and I'll be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness? God wants us to walk out our lives of faith in love. The second thing that he talks about is to watch out or to listen for things that are going to get us off track. Listen to what he says in verse 7. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so you don't lose what we have worked for, but you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. John recognizes that there are already people who are infiltrating the church of that day, who are claiming to have another revelation about God, about how to get right with him, about what he wants us to do. And John wants to warn the church, don't listen to the wrong voices. Watch out that you're not led down the wrong philosophies and astray. Watch out for false teaching because it will try and pop its ugly head out into your life. Do you think that's still happening today in the church? Absolutely. It's ongoing. It's an ongoing struggle. It's an ongoing battle. And so this letter is very relevant for us today. Very relevant. I want to point out three things that I believe we have to look out for for false teachers. Number one, false teachers will always challenge the authority of Scripture. They will always challenge the authority of Scripture. What they'll try and do is convince you that somehow your experience or someone else's experience or maybe a new revelation that someone's received. I had a vision. You need to listen to this vision. There's always some sort of way to say, you know, what Scripture says is nice, but you know what, that's kind of old. We have something new. But God tells us to be Bereans. God tells us to understand, to read our Scriptures, and to test every spirit against what they have to say. We're to test the spirits, test the revelations, test anything that is said out there in our world against what the Bible has already revealed as truth. And if it disagrees, we don't go, well, let's throw the Bible out because that's an old-fashioned book and irrelevant. No, we're to throw out the vision. We're to throw out the new revelation, the new philosophy that's come. We're to throw that away. That's garbage. In, in John's day, what was happening? They said Jesus never came in the flesh. He was like a ghost. John's like, dude, I was with him. 
I saw him go to the bathroom. I, I didn't watch, but he was a real human being. He was in the flesh. Well, these philosophers of the day said, well, there's no way that he could have been in the flesh because the flesh is inherently just evil. And spiritual world is good. So how could the two come together and still be good? That's impossible. So what you saw, John, and witnessed, that was just a mirage. And John's like, no, it was essential to what God's plan was. God took on human flesh, the incarnation of Christ. It was only through that that he could bear our sins, be the the perfect sacrifice for our sins, and cleanse us from our sins. We can't start dismissing that. That is essential to believe and to have faith in if we're going to receive salvation that he intended us to enjoy. So in John's day, it might have been that. Do you think that people are still saying Jesus didn't come in the flesh? Maybe, but I don't hear about it a lot. You know, the devil is up to all kinds of tricks. He doesn't just stay with one trick all the time. He's he's a multi-trick pony, right? So now he's trying to throw out these other things. There's a movement right now in our world. It's It's hitting hard in the church. It's called deconstructionism. And what, it's, what it attempts to do is say, you know, everything that you learned growing up in the church, let's reevaluate that. Let's look at that through a, a modern lens. And let's realize that, you know, a lot of what God had to say wasn't really meant for today. But let's hold on to some key pieces like love. You know, let's love everyone. Love means accept everyone and everything. So I can live my true self and I can be whatever I want to be, and I can still be a follower of Jesus. It's rethinking the idea of what Scripture says. And John would say, no, don't listen to that. Test that against what Scripture says and throw it out if it doesn't agree. And yet, the church is being infiltrated by this philosophy, by this concept that is totally against what God has to say. And totally about embracing the culture around us and all the worldly philosophies that it brings. John is writing the church, warning that that's going to happen. Warning us in advance and saying, don't listen to that. Number two thing that false teachers will do is they'll call into question established truth. I talked about that a little bit with, with deconstructionism. It goes back to the old line that was said in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? You remember that? You remember when Satan talked to Eve, the serpent? And he said, did God really say? What was he doing? He was questioning established truth. Yes, God did say. They were there when God said. They heard God say. But what the devil comes along and does is he wants you to question that. He wants you to sort of like dismiss that or maybe reimagine what you heard and make it a little more palatable to the ear, a little more fit your lifestyle that you'd like to pursue. Whatever it is that makes you a little more comfortable in this world, did God really say? That's what false teaching will do. That's what false teaching philosophy will do. will call into question established truth. The final thing, number three, that 
that I believe false teachers are all about is corrupting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Corrupting the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'll redefine Jesus in some way or another, and they'll redefine what kind of response God's looking for from us. Can you think of all the religions of the world that in some way or another still have Jesus as a part of them? How do they define Jesus? Is it according to the word of God or according to something else? They got to shift it away from the word of God because they want a different outcome for your life. They redefine Jesus and then they redefine our response to him. Some say, well, if you do so many Hail Marys or you give so much money to the church, then you're going to be good with God. Is that in the scripture? No. Is it being proclaimed in religions around the world? Yes. What has happened? They are corrupting the gospel of Jesus Christ. It happened in the first century. John was aware of it, and he's warning the church of it. It's happening in the 21st century. Let us be aware of it as the church, and let us be on our guard against it. Listen to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, I I really think this is relevant to our lives today. Galatians chapter 1 says this in verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to change the good news, the gospel about the Messiah, about Christ. Verse 8, but even if we, Paul speaking, the Apostle Paul, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than that which we have already preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, a curse be on him. Paul was serious about the fact that there's one gospel, There's one revelation of Jesus Christ. There's one way to be right with God through him. Anything else is of the devil. Anything else is straight from the pit, trying to corrupt and and disrupt the gospel of Jesus Christ. So John wants us to be careful. He wants us to walk in love. He wants us to watch and listen. And finally... The third thing that John wants us to do is welcome no lies. Now, I had to have a W and an L. That's why I chose that. Welcome no lies. What does that mean? Let's look what it means right here. Verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home. And don't say welcome to him. For the one who says welcome to him shares in his evil works. Now, we could say, hey, you know, there's, there's Jehovah Witness out there, there's Mormons, there's a lot of things. If they come knocking on your door, okay, I, I just, I won't let them in. But that's not really what's meant in this text. You see, we go back to what was the church in the early days? It was house churches. Remember that? They were meeting in homes. John didn't say, don't be hospitable to people. Don't not love people. That isn't what he's saying. People who don't know Christ need to be loved and need to be felt like there's a Christian community that will love them and will be hospitable to them. Even Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses should sense the love of Jesus in the people of Jesus. So what is he saying? 
He's saying, don't give them a platform in your home. That's what he's saying. Don't invite them in and say, hey, you have a revelation to share? Great, come on in. I got all these Bible students here. Go ahead and have my home in the pulpit of my home and share everything that you have to say. No, John says, guard against that. Don't allow that into your home. Do not do it. But here's the subtleness of the enemy. It's not always a person, especially in the 21st century. It comes in the form of media. It comes right into our homes through a little device that's sitting in most of our living rooms or in our hand. We allow the philosophies of the world right into our home. We don't guard against it. And that's to our shame. We should be gatekeepers of the truth. Amen? That's what John's warning against. He says, do not allow that to infiltrate your, your homes. Why? Because it's going to start infiltrating your minds and your hearts, and it's going to lead you away from the truth. So parents, I challenge you especially. I challenge myself. What are we allowing into our homes? Are we welcoming things that are not of the truth? Are we welcoming ideas, philosophies? Is, is Satan subtle? Is he always like straight up like, Jesus is not the God that you need to follow? No, he doesn't say it that way. He leads our hearts away on different tangents, right? He gets us distracted. He gets us like far away from placing our allegiance and our devotion in Christ alone. And he wants to lead us down a path of destruction. It's subtle. As a pastor, I've seen people who have sat in these chairs. And it looked like for years they were on the right path. And one day, suddenly, their life is a complete disaster. And I'm like, what happened? What hit them? Well, here's the truth. It wasn't just one day. It was subtle, allowing the wrong spirit, the wrong philosophy, the wrong truth that's not truth to come into their home, into their hearts, until one day they abandoned the truth of Scripture the truth of God and his word. And now their lives are a mess. And Satan has them right where he wants them. Do you hear what John says? Listen to this. Listen to this very carefully. He's talking to the church. People who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. You know what he says? Not that you will lose your salvation. What does he say you're in danger of losing? Look at verse... Look at verse... Uh, Help me out, church. Verse uh, 8. Watch yourselves so you don't lose what we've worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. John's worried about the reward. What's their reward? Oh, the reward's what he asked for in the beginning. Peace with God, right? That sense of walking through life knowing that you're right with God. That brings peace. That brings harmony between you and God. When you lose that, now you get his discipline. Now you get his loving discipline. But it can hurt. It can disrupt. You lose out on the things, the, the, the favor that God wants to bring to your life. And you certainly lose out on your opportunity to do things in this lifetime that he intended for you to do for eternity. 
that will resonate into eternity. Let's not get off track. Let's not allow Satan to move into our lives in a way that's subtle sometimes. And then suddenly we wake up one day and we've dismissed the truth of Scripture. We've decided to walk away. That's the devil working. If you're allowing those voices into your heart and into your head and into your home, we are called to say no, to tell no to those voices and get them out of our heads and hearts. Look, the way he, he wraps up, and I'm going to be finished this morning. Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to do so with paper and ink. He was an environmentalist. He was trying to save the planet even then. Um, John, no, I don't think that was it. I think he was, knew that he had so much he wanted to share with the church that he's like, it'd be a lot more convenient, easy, if I didn't have to write all this stuff down. I'll just come and, and meet with you in person. That's what's cool about hopefully having a pastor at a church is cool. You know, I'm not just a video screen. Hopefully I can connect with you guys on some level in your lives. And so can Pastor Kurt, so can Pastor Jeff, and the other elders here at Crossroads. Our goal is to be in your lives and available to you. Because there's a lot more than I can say in 35 minutes on a Sunday. And a lot more I should be saying to speak into your lives, and you can speak into mine, because it's not a one-way street. You realize that? I'm still a sinner saved by grace, just like you. There's nothing more, like, special about me. I just have different gifts than you, and hopefully we're all using our gifts faithfully. I don't want to do it with paper and ink. Instead, I hope to be with you and talk face-to-face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greetings. Most people say that's another church, another church that maybe John was fellowshipping with. They wanted to greet this other church, so he threw in a line. And that's the idea that's kind of cool. It's like we should be in partnerships with other churches. Amen? This is my little, like, side here based on one verse in Scripture. But I, I do believe that we need to be involved not as competitors in Carmichael, but as cooperative agents of God's truth in Carmichael with other churches. I'll tell you this. We have a head pastor, a lead pastor, that that has that heart. Since I've known him, he's had that heart. And I share that heart. I love doing things. Part Part of who we are as Crossroads today is based on God blessing those types of relationships. Amen? The church on Cyprus, the church at Crossroads, now one in Christ. And today, you may wonder why there's a bunch of tables set up. We get to celebrate. We get to celebrate together a meal. So with that, I'm going to close. Kurt, you can come up and uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for your truth. Thank you that you are a God who wants to keep us focused on your truth. God, we ask that you might um, bless our time the rest of this afternoon as as we linger a little longer than usual, God, together in this place. And God, we celebrate some things in your name. God, we just thank you um, that you've provided this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.